0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, morning, Sanko and Shuli. Thank you for joining us today. What I wanted to speak about this morning is the, the five hindrances, the five hindrances in practice. These are considered uh, obstacles to meditation and to, um, for lack of a better word, development and practice. Um, I think we could also say they're um, a hindrance to sustaining our practice as well, too. So there there are five. Uh, There are sense desire, uh, malice or ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and the big one, doubt. Well, I think it depends on our personality, which is the big one. So sense, desire. Sense, desire is uh, chandra, And that is um, pretty much what you think it is. Sight, sound, smell, taste, physical feeling. And that doesn't necessarily mean just touch. Um, so like having a um, We can get addicted to a warm bowl of soup on a really cold morning or coffee or something along those lines. It Can also include uh, the mind, the mind. Um, And most troublingly, it it can also include happiness, getting addicted to happiness. So a classic example of, of this it would be addiction, for example, would be addiction becoming uh, having sense desire of, for uh, for a sensation, uh, especially in a way that can ruin our life, you know, or the lives of others, and or the lives of others. Um, And um, greed is is another manifestation of the hindrance of sense desire. So it's our it's our instinct to to grab. You know, we're we're kind of crabby beings. You know, whether it's in here or the hands or or what have you. Some of you have heard this story before, so I'll, I'll, I'll beg your indulgence. But a thousand years ago, when I was in high school and was taking shop class, uh, we had a unit on electrical. And I remember my, my shop teacher saying if you're ever working with electricity and you're not sure if it's live, you never touch it with the palm of your hand. Because um, if it is live, it it's just um, it contracts and all the muscles contract, and you're you're doomed. He says instead what we do is we touch it with the back of the hand and it. Knocks away the hand. This is why Uchiyama Roshi talked about opening the hand of thought. That's what that was his metaphor, it was because we we continually need to open the hand of thought, and um, at least be willing to relinquish relinquish our our um, our sense design, and this is just part of being human. It's actually just part of being alive. There are um, apparently single-celled organisms that when they see something they like, they eat it. And if it's something that is threatening, they run away. So it's not something that's just, or it's just us. It's just part of, it's part of being um, a part of this world. The second malice or ill will, the pada, um, often shows up as rejection, either for or against something or someone. It manifests as hostility, resentments and bitterness. Anybody familiar with that? Has anyone ever experienced that? I said, Has anyone ever experienced that? The ill will? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. 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 Surely you have some experience with that? Yes. I find that that's kind of the center of my. My gratitude, or uh, my counting, my blessings, type of thing, is to count blessings with people that I could have as mm-hmm. and wish them well And enlightenment. And yeah, well, I'll actually be talking about that. Yeah, so good timing. You're ahead of me. All right. Ah. So what, what? malice or ill will does is it hinders ease, um, and uh, it really kind of knocks us off balance. Really, when, when we think about it, we're literally not in our right in our mind. You know, when we are in the throes of um, of malice or ill will. And in, in American literature, we have a classic example of that, which is Ahab. Wow. you know, He has such a deep hatred of the white whale for having lost his leg to it that he will ruin everything. Uh, and everyone who is a, in his immediate orbit, namely the, the, the ship, the Pequod, if Pequod. I remember correctly. Um, in order to um, seek vengeance. Can I the, right. so, the third one is sloth and torpor. That's uh, stiana mida. was the heaviness of body and dullness of mind. Uh, classically opposes towards inertia and depression. I, th- I think it's also complacency as well too that it can manifest as complacency. There's one long-term teacher I practiced with at San Francisco Zen Center who said that she Realized at a certain point in her practice that she was just cruising in in zazen, um, and not not really engaging, not really engaging with her with her zazen practice. Um, Okay. And and in a way that that manifests is we can we can we can think of taking our practice or our place of practice for, for granted uh, strictly in the practice room. Can, you know we can we can take people for granted, you know as well too. But um, we can always we can always think, oh well, the the Zen will, the Zen center will be there. I don't need to, to go today, you know. And then that that kind of builds on itself. There's a story that Suzuki Roshi, um, um, when they were at the old place on. Um, at Sakoji, when it was time for Zazen, uh, he went off and unlocked the building. And if the doors unlocked, weren't unlocked, his apartment was overlooking the street, they would call up to him and he would drop the keys down to him, and they would come in. And sometimes he would say, go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, number four is restlessness and worry. Uh, Adachya kirtya. So, it's the inability to calm our mind. Also, hinders mental ease. And um, in the sin the language, we would also call it monkey mind. Small so two. Whenever you say the words monkey mind, even to non-practitioners, they know immediately what you're talking about. Anytime I've done a, a, a talk somewhere outside of the, the Zen Center as a am talking on Buddhism, and I talk about monkey mind, everybody's like, there's that, there's that recognition there, this intuitive recognition. Lastly, we have doubt. I uh, it shows up as lack of conviction or trust or sustained consideration as Katagiri Roshi told the story on himself where he's where he was sitting zazen one day and he says is this it am I going to do this for the rest of my life you know and then he was like yeah. and then he goes like, yeah. and then he just came back came back to it came back to where he was. That can have quite a hook. That can have quite a hook. And one of the analogies that's often used um, is being lost in a desert without any landmarks. Um, Our version of that would be um, on the Llano Estacala, right? The Staked Plains of West Texas, they said it was uh, 85% sky and 15% grass, you know. So it's very easy to be lost in doubt, it's very easy. So we have these hindrances and there are also antidotes. As Gerald gave us a preview, uh, we have antidotes for for these, which is, uh, it's really helpful to know this. So um, for sense desire, the classic antidote is meditating on impermanence to realize the impermanence of all of all things, our impermanence, the impermanence of um, the desire that arises even. Uh, so that's, that's why it's actually really... Um, delicious in a way to sit Sazen and have a maddening itch like your nose is itching so much your eyes are watering it's it's you know I'm gonna die (laughs) this is this is gonna kill me going to lose my mind if I don't scratch and then what we find if we do do it if we do scratch there's that moment of oh, so nice you can just you can just feel the sensations of relief going through the skin and then what happens two minutes later there's another itch yeah. The more we scratch the more we itch is really what it comes down to. Um, To the point where we think, oh, there's got to be something crawling around underneath my skin. So uh, using an itch as a a metaphor, we can watch it arise, watch the peak of it, and then watch it subside. If we can can just uh, keep our hands on our lap. or catch ourselves when we're going up. I still do. So the antidote for ill will or malice classically is um, loving kindness, the loving kindness meditation, or metta, doing metta for people. or situations. We can also um, feel the pain of the old love. Can we really acknowledge when we're feeling our most resentful and our most uh, angry? Can we actually pause and let ourselves feel the pain? Feel the pain that we are in. Often the person, if it's a person that we feel ill will towards, um, has no idea. Has no no idea whatsoever. we can repent, we can repent our ill will, which means to look again. To look again. So we can, is this true? Is this really, really true? There's a wonderful practice at Tassajara where when you're walking down the path and you um, are meeting someone on the path, you stop and you both parties stop and bow. It doesn't matter what your relationship is with the person. You stop and you bow. So we give up our stiff neck. And actually the the, the, uh, the act of bowing, we expose the back of our neck. So we're really vulnerable. So we're, we're exposing the back of our neck to each other. Saying, I, saying, I, I trust you to do this. I recognize you and I trust you. It doesn't matter if we've had a falling out with them. We still bow. A good one also if you have if you have an altar at home is to put a picture of someone you have a difficult relationship with on your altar. It's very important to have people that inspire us, that we love, that we're really close to, who nurtured us on our altar. And it's equally important if we are to uphold the Bodhisattva vow, to have a picture of someone that we have a difficult relationship with. Fictional, non-fictional, living or dead, known or unknown. So that when we offer incense, we're offering incense to that being as well too. We can do bows to that person. And this person, I'll, uh, I'll just call them blank. Their name is blank. So whenever we bow... We can say, blank, I aspire to forgive you. I will not hate. The next bow, we can say, blank, please forgive me my trespasses. I've acted out of ignorance. And we can say, our last bow, We can say, Colin, I forgive you. Thank you very much. This can be very helpful to do this because we never know the way in which our suffering will transform. Some of you are aware that my My little stick, my my teaching stick here. You get one of these whenever you do Dharma transmission. Mine doesn't look like the normal one. It has a it has a curve. See. The curve, there's a little curve up here, but it's normally a, a longer curve down here. But the reason that this is an unusually shaped stick is because this was my rifle stock from the Marine Corps. And I've, this is where the butt plate was. Those little ridges. I've kept this. Mm. I've, I've kept these little ridges whenever I made this to remind me what this was. You know. Um, whenever I carry them, I'm like, yes, yes. Don't forget. Don't forget. I found not to harbor ill will. Sloth and torpor. I think we've all been afflicted by this at some point. Um, What we can do is we can rouse, we can rouse energy to bring us around to head off the inertia and the depression at the pass. Um, if it, uh, one way that it often shows up in us is the sleepiness. At uh, the first period at Tassahara is 4.30 in the morning. So more than a few mornings, you see a row of nodding heads. And one of the ways that we can wake ourselves up is to bring our eyes up to eye, uh, to the wall right in front of us for a few minutes. Uh, we, can, we can also bring our attention to the third eye. That can help as well too. What's, what uh, can be also really helpful is to remember what, what our intention is. To remember our intention. This is the root of the word uh, discipline. We're a disciple. We're a disciple to what we're doing in that moment. So, if we're, if we're sitting zazen, we are a disciple. If we are driving a car, we are a disciple to driving a car and not texting. If we're washing dishes, we're a disciple to washing dishes. So in this way, we are a disciple to our life. We are a disciple to all beings. So uh, for restlessness, it um, shows up as anxiety inability to, to be still. So we focus on on quieting the mind quieting the mind. And a, a good way to do that is to notice where the tension, where the anxiety is in the body. And out of that can develop contentment. Um. Developing gratitude settles us down. We're not so focused on what we don't have. As Suzuki Roshi once said to a student, just to be alive is enough. And we forget that. We forget that. Not taking things for granted can settle us down. Oh. Oh yes, yes. Thank you, Roof, for sheltering us while we sit. Sats. Thank you all for being here and supporting my practice. Uh, Brother David steindl Ross, the Benedictine monk who's kind of a rock star in uh, some of the Zen circles. Uh, someone asked him once what the key to gratitude was, and he said, uh, "Always be willing to let yourself be surprised." That was that was a real key for him, for for gratefulness. So the last one is doubt. Yeah, doubt for doubt. Uh, classically, you would study sutras. Um, one of the things that, that uh, can be helpful to is to use doubt to counter doubt and say, this "Is this really true?" You know, because we live. Uh, in our ordinary monkey mind we we live in a realm of what shows up is true it must be true because it showed up right it often doesn't occur to us to think wait a minute wait a minute so you say okay so what am i doubting am i doubting practice or am i doubting me It's always, that's always a worthwhile examination. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. There's a friend of mine that I practiced with a long time ago who said that um, when he began practice, he was he had been at it for a few months and he said, This is just not working. You know, I'm just as miserable as I have ever been. And um, when he got home, his girlfriend said, "I don't know what you're doing, but keep it up. You know, it's it's working. There's something changing. You know, so, you know in his in his world, in his view, you know, like he was pretty unhappy, but there was somebody else saw something else." you know who wasn't who wasn't him that's why we're not always the best judge of what's going on Even, especially in our own world you know we may think we are this is the importance uh, of good dharma friends you know to have other practitioners around, we may need to say something, to to come to one of our good friends and say, please encourage me, you know, just to say it, just to put it out there, rather than how we often beat around, the oh, I'm really having a hard time, you know. uh, Just say, oh, I need some encouragement, right? Oh, ah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. It gets better, keep it up, keep it up. These rough patches show up from time to time, but they, uh, they're impermanent as well. So the, the hindrances um, they're not only a hindrance to samadhi, to to a stable, uh, settled mind, but also even just just a coming and just uh, coming and sitting sound. Um, it um, can be like the hook in the old vaudeville shows, or the Yankee off, or the Yankee off stage. Uh, so not only can it be a hindrance to development of practice at Saza, but it can also be a development, uh, be a hindrance to, to living our life, to being present for our life. This is what, you know, coming and sitting and looking at a wall is kind of the deep end of the pool in some way. Yeah. But if we really, really want to live our life, we need to show up. We need to recognize when the hindrances are at play. And the nice thing is is that we have the tools to recognize these hindrances. We have the tools to recognize them and, and to apply antidotes. There's an old saying that you you free your mind and your body will follow. And this is is what we're talking about. This is all about freeing the mind, freeing the mind, letting go of the hindrances, coming back, not getting caught, removing the barb from the hook so that we can come back just as soon as we can. So I want to see if anyone has any questions or comments.